0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Joshua, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. I welcome those who are joining on live stream and we are in the second part of just two parts. Joshua chapter 1. We, last week, we we're talking a little bit about that. I'll come back, and, and I'm not going to do review. It's on the, uh, our, our website that you can go into last week. I'm going to jump right into chapter 1, verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in And take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. title of what I want to share today is called, Submission Precedes Inheritance. And it's kind of like, huh? Submission Precedes Inheritance. Before we dive into Joshua, can we just ask God's direction? Holy Spirit, if you don't guide us, we won't understand this. Help our minds to be open to your word and help our minds not to think of someone else. (laughs) Help us to take ownership today of me, of us, so that, Lord, we can submit our lives to you. Help us to understand this. Help us to be alert. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, last week, the series, this little mini, has to do with too many times we as believers are not walking in all that God has provided. There is a difference between provisions of God and receiving those provisions. It's one thing to have ownership of something. It's another thing to actually take advantage of that. You know, if you might have a keys to a car in that parking lot, but if you never put it in the ignition or if you push button, if you never actually exercise the authority right over that car and get in there and drive it and take off, the keys mean nothing. They mean nothing. You might have ownership, you might have inheritance, and we do as children of God. When you come into a living faith with Jesus Christ, you are called a child of God. That's the greatest news ever, a child of God. There's a song we used to sing. I don't know why I get myself into this every Sunday morning. There's a song, we, I'm not going to sing it. There's a song we used to sing, in it and uh, um, we are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are family. Anybody know that? We are, yeah, some of you know it. Okay, we are one. Okay, we are going to do it again. We are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are family. We're one. It's a great song. It's a great song. And the picture here is heirs of the kingdom. When you invite Christ as your, when by faith you accept him as Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. You have all the provisions of heir. You have all the inheritance now yours. The check has been given to you. But you've got to cash it. You must now possess it. And this is the series, Possessing Our Inheritance. Because an inheritance does no good unless you take possession of it. This was exactly what had happened. The Israelites in this day had an inheritance, but they had yet to possess it. This is the possession of that great inheritance So uh, last week, it started in chapter 1, verse 2, where God spoke to Joshua and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Strange way to start it all. Joshua knew that already. But God was making a point. Remember, God never says anything to hear himself talk. Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, Moses, the past that has held you back is gone. Quit letting it be your excuse. Isn't that a good word? And then he continues on. He says, now, now, when do you think now is? Somebody tell me. Now, okay, thank you. Now means now. You don't have to go to the Hebrew to find out the meaning of the word now. It means now. Get up, he says. Get up. Get up, arise. Arise. He said, be strong, be courageous. And he kept saying it because he knew the tendency. Be st- I mean, I think Joshua was top of the line anyway. Joshua was a warrior from start, from get-go. You studied the book of Joshua. This guy's a warrior. God was saying, even to this warrior, be strong, be courageous. And over and over, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Over and over. God says, you boldly go where I've called you to go because, because I go with you. And I will fight I'll do the heavy lifting in this battle. Just go, and I'm with you. And then, and then he drops the last one. Fear not, because fear will fear is what comes in after to debunk the journey, to get you off. And so don't 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 be afraid. Don't get looking off to the side. Stay with it. Stay with it. Good word. Um, last week, I uh, invite you to go to it uh, to kind of get that first part. Now here we are. He's already said this, and then. Verse 10. Uh, now, to understand verse 10, where it says, and I'm going to read it again. Can we just go back to verse 10 and 11? Before I read it, understand what has just maybe happened in verse 7, 8, 9. The Israelites are about to move into this brand new land. They're about to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Now, there's people to conquer. There's, it's not just walk in and put your tent down. It's like you have to take the land. Uh, we are engaged in spiritual battle every single day. You and I, we, it's, it's important to know the difference when you're in battle and when you're in a time of peace, don't you think? If you're in time of peace, you know, you don't want to go around killing your neighbor. But if you're in time of battle, you need to recognize maybe your neighbor, and I don't mean literally, don't go out, you know, quoting me on this. But there might be something you need to overcome. There's an obstacle to what God is providing and that was the other side of the Jordan. But before they went across on the, on the, the Jordan, there was a little skirmish that took place on this side of the Jordan. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Everybody say that together. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You know, I can't remember all the tribes, but I can remember the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And why a half-tribe? But, yeah, And they occupied on the front side of the Jordan. Then they had to go now, go over the Jordan. And this is where it picks up, verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan. From here, go in, take possession of the land the Lord is giving as your own. So, let's do it, he said. (laughs) Get ready, go. Uh, The order was set in motion from God to Joshua, Joshua to the officers, officers to the leaders, leaders to the families, families to the children. Trickled on down. The order, pass it down, pass it down. You know, they didn't, have, they didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have an alert system they could send out to everybody. They, they had to, by word of mouth, it trickled down. Joshua, officers, leaders, family, leaders, family. The word was sent. It went quickly. Get your tents, family, food ready. Three days. Three days. We're doing it. Now let me just pause frame here if you ever thought for a second that they hopped to their feet and were ready to go think again. We are creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. You had somebody say, "Hey, let's go out and let's let's go to the park today." Well, no, you know, I've got to do this and I got to do that, and I got to do yeah, we're creatures of habit. Uh, we many are comfortable in the paths in which we walk. Now, I know some are more adventuresome, some are risk-takers, some are always running from the next great adventure to the next great adventure to the next great adventure, and we would just like them to slow down a little bit and become a person of habit once in a while, but most, we end up forming habits, and habits create safety zones. We like our safety zones, thank you. And I know that's true amongst us, because oftentimes we as a church say, hey, let's do this, and it's met with absolute silence. It's like... Does that mean I have to do something? Because I think I'm busy on that day. We haven't even told you what day it is yet. I think I'm busy on that day. What is that? We're, we're comfortable. Are you, you asking me to become uncomfortable? Don't ask me to be uncomfortable. What is it you're asking? Explain it more carefully. And maybe we, Maybe next year we should do that. And so that's a natural tendency for most people. Creatures of habit. Today's comfort zones were fashioned by yesterday's habits and are now, listen, are now an obstacle to your godly inheritance. Your habits actually can become an obstacle. They're your comfort zones, you're used to it. And when God says, let's go now, he's met with silence. (laughs) Because you're not ready to go now. Because of, well, it's uncomfortable. And this is exactly what took place here. When God said, let's go, three days, let's go. Uh, they, they weren't jumping to their feet. I expect it was more like this. Oh, come on, not again. Back off. What's the hurry? Three days? you got to be kidding. Three? It's going to take me a week to pack. <laughs> sound reasonable? Does it sound familiar? But God did mean get up. He did mean now. And he did mean today's the start of your inheritance to possess it. Today I want to talk about submission. If we're going to possess what God is offering, not just in mind, but in reality and practicality, if we're going to possess it, it's going to require us to submit. And I'm going to bring out three things, and then I'm going to talk about a, three, a three-part heart attitude to get there. Three things we have to submit to, and this has come from the story. This story is a picture, it's a type. As you watch them take the land, you can say, here's how God worked among them. Here's how God wants to work in my life today. So the first thing, three things we're going to submit to, first thing has to do with timing, concerning timing. Verse 11, three days from now you will cross the Jordan. We live in a time in which personal rights trump almost everything. We have rights and how they abound. I just looked up a few. We have victims, victim rights, women's have rights, men have rights, criminals have rights, animals have rights, ethnical rights, patient rights, human rights, constitutional rights, labor rights, religious rights, civil rights, consumer rights, and I haven't even begun to touch the list of rights. This list is full of our rights. I have the right. Now, each of these, I'm going to suggest, have a degree of legitimacy. But where do you stop? Might we suggest, does God have any rights? (laughs) Often as people, we feel our personal privileges. And if you attempt to impose yourself, now you claim the victim and you have rights. Now, let me just take this a little bit farther. When God says, get up and let's go now, we begin to declare our rights. I, I have the right to get, I'll do it in my time. That's my right. That's my right. And there's a tendency to respond as if you're doing him a favor. God says, I need you. I, let's, let's, let's walk into your inheritance. I've got purpose and plans for your life. I've got plans for your future. I've got plans for you right now. Let's start today. Let's get going. Start September the 19th. Let's start today. And then there's a natural tendency. Oh, If, if you push too hard, God, I, you're victimizing me. And... I will do it when I'm ready. You're inconveniencing me. There was a person that blessed my heart. There's been many over the years, but him and his wife come to my mind. He was a manager in his business. He was in his midlife, the latter part of his midlife, so he wasn't you know just you know, 20, early 20s. And we had a need in the church for children's workers, somebody to really take leadership. Uh, Lori and I felt impressed in our hearts to talk to him. Uh, he, had, he had really never done that. Uh, but we just watched he, the little bit of his interaction. He did four teenagers. Hey, anybody who has four teenagers, they can work with kids. And so uh, he had four teenagers, and he was doing a great job, and him and his wife, and they were just uh, great people in the church, quiet. But we really felt the Lord impressed us to talk to them to see if they would uh, actually run our children's ministry. Big task. And they did. After a few years, and they not only ran it, they ran it amazingly. I learned, I was blessed by them watching this person give of their lives in the ministry. And it became the strongest ministry in the community. And it really went from zero to 100 in no time. Partway into it and talking to them, just saying, How do you do it? Like years into it, how do you do it? How do you keep at it? How do you stay at the task? And his response, and it wasn't a one-time response. He had many responses to this. But it was basically, I don't do it for any person. I do it for the Lord. And so when I begin to think it's too much or I begin to want to do something else, I begin to be discouraged. I remember who I'm doing it for. And I don't have a right to tell him when and how. I do it for him. And that blessed my heart that he just saw himself... Whatever you do, doing, it. And he would tell his workers. And he had a, he had a slew of workers. He was, I, how he could get people to work for, I don't know. And he had a slew of people around him. And they were energized and they loved the job. Even Lori was one of them. And she just loved going back. She was more committed to him than to me. And it's like, what is it? He just poured into them. And they all grasped that philosophy of, we do this with all our heart because it's unto the Lord. And it was so successful and it changed so many lives. And it blessed me. Because here is a person who took seriously that God's timing means now. If, we're, if we don't, if it's in my time, it's when I, when I feel like, well, you know, I'm, I, I can't now because I'm busy in school. No, no, I can't now because work is just ramping up. No, no, I can't. And we come up with it all. My children need me now more than ever. And we come up with all these things. Be careful. When God says now is to move, now means now. Go. And there's too many gone into, I call it the, Christ, the Christian drift. And they're drifting through their faith. Years later, I don't, still don't see anything happening much in their faith. Because they're always coming up with the victim rights. I'm not doing it now. The Israelites, God said, three days. Three days. You need to go. If I'm going to see the possession of God's inheritance, I need to submit to his timing. Not my timing. And God's timing is usually different than mine. And it usually requires me now. Secondly, we need to submit to God's team. Let's read down verse 14. This is where the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. Can you say that again with me? Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. Okay, these are my guys. This is where they come into play. So the few verses just before this talks of them. Okay, guys, you're going to stay back this side of the Jordan. Verse 14 Let's read it. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land. He's talking to the Gadites, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half drive of Nassau. He says, You can stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until, here it is, until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Here it is. God refuses to lead you into your promised inheritance if you're just going to be a lone ranger. If it's all about you because your blessings are to be shared. Got to share what God is doing with me. These two and a half tribes, it was easy for them because they had already occupied on the east side of the Jordan. It was easy for them to say, hey guys, it's your problem. But God says, no, 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 no. He says, you go across and until all of them have entered into their rest, you don't come back. It's not about you. I need to submit to God's team. There are those of us who have been blessed and you are seeing the inheritance and the possession of that inheritance now, but it's not a time to sit back when others are around you, and trust me, others are all around you who have not yet been blessed, who are not walking in that inheritance. They're all around you. And it's not a time for you to sit back and say, well, it's been good. I've enjoyed the journey. Blessing. Guys, I hope you make it. Hope everything's good with you. God doesn't work that way. You hear Pastor Church all the time say, we do much better together. We do it as a team. It's connections. And it's true. When we work together, when we Join together. And God was saying, listen, if you're going to, win, if you're going to possess the inheritance, you've got to share. You've got to be a part of the team. So there might be blessings in your life, but what about others? I guarantee you, if you have blessings amongst your children, there are children within arm's reach of you who have not come into that blessing and parents who have yet to come into that blessing. Let's fight for them. Let's get back in the game with them. Be a part of the team. Amen? amen. Then that, I'm encouraged when I think in the times where I'm not experiencing God's fullness that there are those who have given up their comfort to come and fight alongside me. And I know you are too. I'm really thankful. I know nothing about medicine. But I'm really thankful there are people who spent years in the medical field who have worked their night shift If ever there was a time where I was in an accident and I needed somebody who knew what they were doing and wasn't saying, listen, it's night, I want to go to bed. But they are there and they are giving up something of them in order to keep me alive. Don't think I'm not deeply thankful. And when it comes to the body of Christ so much more, there are those lives many times being redirected in this life. And there needs to be the team coming alongside saying, I'm not going to rest on my joys and my inheritance until all have come in. And might I suggest that won't come until we see Jesus. There are people. Here's something. I take comfort in this. I take comfort because we experienced it firsthand in our own family. That when my children, when there was waywardness in our family, that... We could put our trust in God because there was other people God was bringing into our kids' life who would impact them, and he did. We watched God bring other people in. And here's what God was saying. He was saying, just don't pray for your immediate family. Recognize that you might be God's answer to prayer for somebody else's family. So there's a young person, there's a child, there's somebody near you, there's a, a woman, there's a man, there's a situation, and you are in that situation, and answer God is like, you know, in answer to someone's prayer over here, that you are their answer, just as somebody would be your answer. And God was saying to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, He was saying that guys, just don't sit back and hope the best. Your family's out there fighting. Come alongside, fight. I submit to your team, Lord. I submit. To you. We do ministry fair. We do ministry. Fair. Join the team. Join the team. I submit to your team. I think of sports, and it's wrong of an athlete, a hockey player, if at the end of the game they had two goals, if they had a hat trick, and at the end of the game, you know, the media is chasing them around, and, well, you know, wow, you really carried the game. It's wrong of them to say, yes, I did. What's right of them and is expected of them is to say, it was a team that did this. If somebody didn't pass it to me, I couldn't have scored. It's a team. Team success or a team failure. Submission to your team. I submit to his time. And he says, now, three days. I submit to your team. He begins to say, you, you don't hold back if there's others out there who need you. Third one is, we come to verse chapter 3, verse 2. It's called submission concerning tracking with God. Verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Note that last part. But keep a distance of 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Don't go near it. This is one of the more detailed specifics Joshua got with how they were to move into battle array. They were to march at a precise distance from the ark in a specific order. It's not like, you know, everybody just, you know, rioting in on the enemy. God gave specific marching orders in relation to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. And they were given direct orders to mark in a precise distance and order to to him. Uh, they were to bring themselves into submission to a marching order. Let me just suggest that God has a placement for you. God has a placement for you. And any other place, anywhere else you align yourself, you will miss the blessing. You just don't stumble into the blessing, He's got a specific plan for your life. And it often flows out of how he has blessed you and gifted you. Your abilities, your talents. It flows out of that. And out of that, he lines you up to his plan in relation to him. And there's that place that I need to submit to his tracking system. I just can't wander in as I feel like I want to. I can't simply wander in, you know, my wife does it this way, that's the way I'm going to do it. My parents did it this way, that's the way I'm going to do it. God has a specific alignment for you. In possessing your inheritance. And it comes from him. It flows from him. And I'm going to suggest it begins. It flows out of the place of worship. It flows out of the place of your devotions. Out of your prayer life. When you flow out of your time of being with God and Bible reading and studying together. And when you come out of that. I'm believing on Wednesday nights when we get together and study the gospel of Luke. That out of that will flow flow worship. And out of worship you will understand where your alignment is to the tracking where your alignment is. You know, battles are won and lost in whether or not troops are able to submit to their placement. Isn't that true? If you're just going to do it, you know, your commanding officer says, you you know, I I need this platoon to go here. And you say, no, I'd rather go here. You have to submit to your authority because battles are won or lost based on placement. Based on placement. Isn't that true in the kingdom? And that's why God was setting them up. He says, now you're marching into battle. Here's how I'm going to place you in proximity to me. and So out of your giftings, abilities, talents, go into the place of deep worship, draw your roof, go deeper. And out of that, you will understand what your marching orders are. And then get into the place of those orders. Because in that place, that's where the inheritance is. And if you just drift, if you just wander, if you just do your own thing, you'll miss it. You'll miss the blessing." You say, well, well, I thought he was going to do it. Well, you just did your own thing. It requires a submission to him. If they didn't do it, and he was very specific. He says, keep a distance of 2,000 cubits. Very specific. He just didn't say, stand behind it. Stand beside it. He gave actual specifics. Here's how you're going to win the battle. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Interesting scripture. It says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, where you turn to the right or where, wherever you turn to the left. In other words, God will guide you. You will hear his. He will guide you as you tune in. He guides. Submit fully to God's go now. You're part of a team. Discover your placement. Now this last part is a bit more tender. <laughs> this last half is a bit more sensitive. I'm going to sit down for it. It's about circumcision. Now, if children, young children are here and you don't know what circumcision is, Pastor Brett is right here, Pastor Brett. He will explain what circumcision is if you don't know what circumcision is. Joshua chapter 5, verse 2, can we read this? This is important. At that time, the Lord said to Josh, Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. Uh, okay, we need to talk about this. This is not just meant to be left in the pages of the Old Testament circumcision. I'm not going to talk about it. Should you circumcise not that, that? I'm not going to talk about that circumcision. or Circumcision of that day uh, was part of God's health remedy, because there are health reasons behind circumcision, but it also marked them as a people of God, a chosen people. We need to really come to a place of understanding uh, understanding perspective. So here's a whole generation going in to possess their inheritance, whose perspective was slavery, and whose perspective was wilderness, and they got to get a new perspective, and this is where the circumcision comes in. It's it's a new perspective. kind of reminds me of an old story I heard. Three people were visiting the Grand Canyon, an artist, a preacher, and cowboy. As they stood on the edge of the great abyss, one by one, they responded with a cry of exclamation. The artist said, oh, what a beautiful scene to paint. The minister said, oh, what a wonderful example of the handiwork of God. The cowboy said, what a terrible place to lose a cow. Now, these are all facts, but they're all based on someone's perspective. They're all true. It is a beautiful scene to paint. It is a beautiful picture of God's handiwork. and I wouldn't want to lose a cow in the Grand Canyon. Perspective. Physical circumcision, spiritual circumcision. Let me tell you, Romans chapter two, let's read this. look at it. First, I'm going to go right down to verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Whoa, what? So circumcision, not just talking circumcision of the flesh. Verse 29, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So God actually needs to circumcise our hearts. So remember often the Old Testament is a picture of New Testament realities. So an Old Testament picture of circumcision gives us a picture of what God wants to do in the heart. What is the picture? So we've talked about submitting to God's timing, Submission to his team, submission to where we are going to be in perspective to him. But now we, what does he need to do in changing our perspective? Because we come out of a slave and a wilderness mentality. Now we need to be more than victors in Christ Jesus. How do we get there? It's our perspective has to change. God has to take the knife to our hearts. Circumcision. And I'm going to draw three things out of the, You might not have seen this before. Three things. What happens at circumcision? Number one, the knife is laid to the center of the individual's identity. First words often spoken by a doctor when a child is born is, it's a boy, it's a girl. It's a boy, it's a girl. He chose those words on the center of the person's identity. It was the emergence of, to understand something, of the identity. It's sex was the identity Listen, when God calls us to the circumcision of our hearts, he desires to cut clear through to that which identifies us and makes us real. You see, they've come out of a wilderness and whatever. If you asked the Israelites before they went into the promised, before they would take the promised land who they were, they would begin to say, well, we're nomadic people. We own a bunch of sheep. We're owners of sheep. We're this, we're that, we're this, we're that. And God is saying, no, 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 okay, i gotta cut, I got to cut some things out here. You need to know who you really are. And he begins to cut to the core of their identity. Identity is seen in the uh, representation of a, a boy, a girl. And so he removes the superficial. And he establishes what's real. We as believers, we need to be identified through our relationship with Christ Jesus. Yet in our culture, we base so much of our identity on our jobs. Who are you? We'll often relate to our jobs. Who are you? We'll relate to if you play in a position on a team. Who are you? We, well, I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandma. I'm a, gra- I'm a mother. Who are you? We begin to draw our identity from here. And so what God does is he takes the knife and he begins to cut off the areas of what you don't need. Here's who you are. If you were to grasp his inheritance, you got to have a perspective of who you are or else you'll miss it. And so... Early into this, first, you think, these, these, these men are ready to go into battle, and, and God says, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. Joshua, get the knife out. Men are going, like, what's going on? You know, okay, who's first? You know, and these are 30, 40-year-old guys. Couldn't they have done it when they were eight years old? <laughs> I don't want to get too far into this, but it's just crazy stuff. God, why then? Remember, they were a generation that had not been circumcised. It says circumcise them again. doesn't mean they were, how do you circumcise somebody twice? No, that's not. Their parents had been circumcised. Now it's time for them. You see, they had just drifted along, and they thought that would carry them into the blessings of the promised land, and God says, no, no, you need your identity, not off the identity of your parents who are dead back in the wilderness. Hmm. The knife is laid to the center of an individual's identity. Number two, what else can we learn about this? Well, circumcision has to also do with creativity. Creativity comes from the word creation. Creation is a part of our reproductivity. It is our reproductivity that the knife of circumcision is laid to. Therefore, God, there's no greater... There is no greater human potential than to give life. Where man and woman come together and a life is born. Now, never, never will ever stop amazing me. The gift of life comes out of a relationship of two people, a gift of life. A life, and that's called procreation, the beginning of another life. And circumcision cuts to the center of which new life would be derived. Therefore, as God cuts through our individual uniqueness, He lays claim. He lays claim now to your thought system. As God begins to cut through your uniqueness, He lays claim to the style, kind of a person you are, ability to communicate. He lays claim to all of that. You say, "I Moses, I can't communicate. I can't talk." Well, God laid claim to that. It requires a submission to His knife. Instead of saying, "No, no, I won't do it," a submission to His knife. And let me just say, you can trust them. Anybody here know there's a difference between castration and circumcision? Okay, someone got it. God didn't say, I'm going to castrate you guys. He said, I'm circumcising you. Circumcision will bring life. Castration will kill it. God says, I'm about to bring new life. About to bring and spiritually, we pull that in. We recognize this was important. Bring new life to a new generation. It's your creativity, your ability to reproduce. God wants to reproduce. Thirdly, we submit to His circumcision of the heart, because circumcision has to do with privacy. The knife, the knife is laid to the most private part of the human anatomy, and there's nothing more humbling. Likewise, heart circumcision slices precisely to the private, secret places of your heart. Listen to this. John chapter 3:19 picks this up. Let me read it. Follow with me. John 3:19. "Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness." I'm going to say privacy, instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his evil deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly, and what he has done has been done through God. Privacy hates exposure. Hates it. So the question here is, will you let God perform surgery on every part of your private life? Hmm. Or you'll not possess the inheritance. Circumcision lays the knife to the most private thing. So, he's probably going to want to deal with your attitude. (laughs) And I tell you straight up, I hate it when he does that. And I would rather hide and him not pry. But if I'm going to receive what he has done or needs to do, I need his knife to go to my attitude and cut things off that shouldn't be there. What about your pride, selfish desires, anger, anyone, lusts, your jealousies and criticisms? And he gets the knife, and you can hear it just sharpening on the stone. Oh, God, cut to the heart. Cut to the heart of those things. The things that I hold dark, the things that I hold in privacy, because as long as I hold them in privacy, the inheritance will never be fully realized. Well. So circumcision opens the heart where we begin to understand who we are. Circumcision severs yesterday's bitterness, and circumcision slices away the unwholesome values that you need from him. Let me tell you there's a couple great benefits to all this. First of all, Joshua chapter five verse eight says, "After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. I love how God puts these into his canon of scripture. Guys, we're not going today. Take a few days until you're fully healed. Here, God, when he circumcises, he heals you. You want to experience the greatness. You want to ex- People say, I've not seen God's goodness. I've not seen his greatness. I've not seen his great power. Well, then let him circumcise you and watch his healing take place. Watch him do a deep work in your life. If you're not seeing it, maybe you haven't surrendered enough to see it. But give him your all. Give him, let him slice away those things. It'll be painful. But when you do, when you do, oh, you will watch the hand of God heal you in a way that will astound you. His healing is complete. And secondly, it produces fruit. When he does it, fruit comes on. Fruit's good. We're made for fruitfulness. Fruit is good. It wasn't until... This took place. Could they go in? And then, one after the other, the nations fell. The people fell, city after city, and they possessed the inheritance. But it was a part of their fruitfulness. I discovered, and I looked at that and I thought, that's interesting. So I went back to Genesis chapter 12 because the promise of the promised land was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It was a promise. And then Abraham began to walk it out. And it wasn't until Genesis chapter 17 where God says, Abraham, um, you haven't circumcised your son. And it was when Abraham circumcised his son, fruitfulness of another generation came. It started with Abraham. I looked at that a little bit further and I realized even Moses himself. You remember the story of Moses? He's wandering around in the wilderness not really knowing what to do. God had told him to go back and to lead the people into the freedom. And Moses is in the wilderness. And God got a hold of Moses through his wife. He needed to circumcise, remember that story, his kids. And once he circumcised his kids, cut off the false values, circumcised his kids. He went in and a nation of over a million people began to follow and so now here you have Joshua. No different. Joshua, the inheritance is there, but God needs to lay the knife for, to a few things. And when he does, you'll be productive. You'll see, fruit from, you'll see fruit from you grow. I want to close with those thoughts. I know it's a lot to take in. Can we submit to God's timing now? You have to give up your rights though. Submit to God's team. It's not about me. There's other people who need me. You might not think they do, but they do. They need you. Get in the game. Submit to his tracking. How are you doing with him? Because he has a position for you. Do you Do you know where it is? Line yourself out of the place of worship and intimacy. And before you go, you can hear the knife on the stone. Will you submit to my knife? Will you submit that I will re identify you in your identity? your identity, and then I will bring out reproductivity from you, creativity, and into the most private parts of who you are. Surrender them to me, and you will possess the promised land. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.